Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to the Recovering Fundamentalist podcast. We're your hosts, Brian, Nathan, and JC, and we are coming to you live from the Idea Summit in Las Vegas. Woo! We got a live audience. Y'all say hello. Woo! Woo! Heck yeah, that is awesome. Can you guys believe we are in Vegas? I can't, and I can't believe this many people would come to see us. And I feel sorry us. for this them. Is, this is awesome. They're more than emails and text messages. They're it's real true. people. I can't believe Josh Tice has listened to all the podcasts and had the courage to invite us to the Idea Summit. I don't see Let's Josh Tice Let's all get a loud cheer here. for Josh Tice yes. and his yeah. courage. And he's smart. He's not here, so he can't take liability for what we say <laughs> if it happens. But I'm, I'm just glad you made it because watching you check into the Flamingo Hotel was an experience because there was a computer involved. Well, well I didn't experience. understand the concept of a kiosk. I thought there would actually be people there to help me check in. And finally, when I couldn't figure out the kiosk, God bless that lady who was about 20 years older than me <laughs> who helped me figure it out. It's 2021 and COVID is in. You got to, everything's touch, oh, like okay. screen touch. The other night we were recording an episode and Brian got on his MacBook and it started updating while he was on the MacBook and he was like, I don't know what to do. And he was stressing out, guys, I'm so sorry. And then we were like, well, go get your daughter's computer. And so he got it. He's like, guys, I got, I got her computer. We're good to go. And I was like, awesome. And he's like, oh shoot. And we're like, what Brian? He's like, I got to go get her email address. I'm on her computer. I was like, you, you can put your email in her computer and still use the computer, buddy. <laughs> uh, so how do I do that? I love teaching old people new tricks. Yeah. See, he, he makes out like it's old people, but JCC, the problem is some people like you take all this time with technology and other people like me are actually out serving Jesus and we don't have time there it is. to do things like yeah. that. Well, listen, when I was growing up, my dad used to make us sing in nursing homes and we would go and do that on, in Indianapolis, Indiana. We'd sing and, and I knew then that there was a special calling to work with old people and so that's why I'm glad to be <laughs> with you, buddy. So, I'm just kidding. You're young at heart. Hey! We want to give a shout out to Free Life Soap. Y'all give a shout out for Free Life Soap. Yes. Miss McCribbin is absolutely incredible. And she has been a sponsor of the Recovering Fundamentalist podcast. You can go to recoveringfundamentalist.org. Click on the promo tab, Free Life Soap. Use your promo code RFP and get 20% off of your order when you go there today. And there's a lot of folks sitting in the audience right now that has received some Free Life Soap. Yep. And uh, man, it's smelling good up in Giveaways. this. Yes, it's great. Yeah, free life soap's the best. You don't, did you use some today? No. I didn't either. I just dove. <laughs> I used the beard oil. So. <laughs> beard oil, I did use some, yep. some uh, black leather. It was great. You want to do shout outs? Yeah, go ahead. All right. I can't even begin to see that. What's happening really is JC's struggling with this next part, but you just need to push through it, oh, bro. Oh, man. All right. So we like to give some shout outs on the podcast from time to time. And uh, there's some folks that say we mention them every episode, but we don't. But we figured since we were at the Idea Summit that we would give a lot of Nathan's friends some hello. And so we want to say hey to Bill Reeves. We'd like to say hey to, uh, no man, this one hurts, Nathan Rager, Mike Poindexter. Dr. Dex. Dr. Dex. Steve, I can't say his last name. Brudnick. Huh? Brudnick. I call him clickbait. Um, We also... You're Tommy McGuardy or McGuardy. What is it? McGuardy. Yeah, we want to say hey to Tammy. And then our favorite, Andrew Sluder. He said it. We can't say it. I know. We can't say it too loud because the aliens will get us. But Andrew (laughs) Sluder. And if you guys notice, 
Those guys are constantly posting on Twitter. And, and they, they call JC and I those other hosts. Right. And then they talk about this really nice guy named Nathan Cravat. And they could see themselves having lunch with Nathan Cravat. And yeah. they're planning to go to sushi with Nathan Cravat. Don't be and, jealous. Uh, Brian, you know what we should do? We need to meet up with all of our haters so Nathan can sign some Bibles and take selfies with people that actually like him. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what. If you ever see me at lunch with any of those people, dial 911 because I've officially lost my mind. <laughs> I've got a dad joke. You were supposed to transition me into the dad joke. Oh, yeah. So, Do you it. know, they're talking about my friends in low places. Garth Brooks plug right there. Mm, so yeah. all, all of my friends out there that are on the other side of the aisle, that's okay. I own it. And we have some great conversations. But uh, one of the things I've learned from some other friends is that, you know, how to tell some bad jokes or dad jokes. So we I've got learned. a dad joke for y'all. Y'all want to... Y'all want to hear this one? Okay, sounds like you do. Okay, so I'm going to tell it to these guys. Are y'all ready to like interact with me on this one? Can't wait. I'm okay, ready. so why did the chicken cross the road? I, I don't know. To go to the dummy's house. Knock, knock. <laughs> Who's there? <The> chicken. <laughs> I got it at me. That's my best dad hey, joke. Uh, Sorry. You'll get a, it in 10 minutes. I got a dad joke about chickens. Um, Here it is. People who care for chickens are actually chicken tenders. <laughs> dad gum. Hey, what do, you, what do you get when you cross a Jehovah's Witness and a Unitarian? Someone oh. who goes around and knocks on doors for no apparent reason. <laughs> I'm done. I can't do it no more. Hey, let's get this episode started today. It's going to be a good one. We're talking about something that is really close to our heart, recovering fundamentalist. I think we're going to do a play off the name and kind of figure out where we're at. I think it's going to be a, a good episode that is going to give some answers to a lot of questions that we've gotten over the last year. Why did you call it the recovering fundamentalist? What do y'all think? I think it sounds great. Let's get it started. Y'all ready? I'm ready. All right, we're going to get this started. Y'all ready? Let's go! You know what makes women stupid is college. Jesus was not a bartender. Hi, back. Two. You have lost your mind. Long tongue heifers have given me a lot more trouble than heifers wearing breeches. And you know that. Say amen right there. One. Let me tell you something, bozo. There'll be seven frosties in hell for this boy. Put on a pair of pink underwear. Amen. I sucked my thumb when I was 14 years of age. Hey, man. Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to the Recovering Fundamentalist podcast. We're your hosts, Brian, Nathan, and JC coming to you live from the IDIS Summit in Las Vegas, Nevada. Man, what an incredible time we have had here this week. Guys, it's been awesome. Yes, it has. Absolutely. To watch this team of church volunteers serve and work together to serve hundreds of people, uh, it's actually been uh, incredible to watch. 
Hey, we want to thank all of the college students who reached out a few weeks ago and have been going to the recoveringfundamentalist.org. There is a tab there that says college student. When you do, we've got Mark Ward coming on the podcast. He has written the book Authorized, and he has said he's going to give a free book to every college student that signs up. So if you're in college, go to recoveringfundamentalist.org, click on the tab that says college and get your free book from Mark Ward today. You guys, over this last year, if there's been one thing that we have heard over and over and over again, it is, why did you name your podcast The Recovering Fundamentalist? How many times have y'all heard that? Many times. Yeah, a lot. We've got, why didn't you call it the ex-fundy or the recovering legalist or the recovering Baptist? But there's a reason that we went with recovering fundamentalist. And I think today would be a great opportunity to break that down. Nate, share a little bit more about that. Yeah, so our name has two meanings. Everybody has focused on the first part of the meaning. And this name was intentional from the very beginning. We didn't choose ex-fundamentalist for a purpose. And we said this in the very first intro episode. And we laid this out that we still believe in the fundamentals of the faith. So we didn't want to say that we were ex-fundamentalist. But the first meaning of the word is recovering fundamentalists with the emphasis on the recovering. And this is what everybody talks about. And basically this is saying that we need to detox from our experiences in fundamentalism, the negative experiences, uh, extra biblical doctrines, ultra separation, uh, man-made standards of holiness, eisegesis, conservative idolatry, King, King James Version only, out-of-context sermons, authoritarianism, abuse, cover-ups, leader worship, skewed focus, easy believism, heretical teaching, ecclesiastical separation, landmarkism, tunnel vision, dress code, sectarianism, and the list goes on and on and on. And we see the lingering effects from our backgrounds and we constantly struggle to align our beliefs with scripture alone rather than cultural preferences. So this second meaning that we're gonna talk about focuses on the second word, fundamentalist. Yeah, we believe actually that, that the word, the name, the title, fundamentalist has been hijacked. Uh, that's a bold claim to make. Mm-hmm. And I think in order to substantiate that claim that there's two questions that we're gonna have to deal with. And the first question is, what is a true fundamentalist? What would you say? Tent meetings. <laughs> gotta run Sonnet. around the church with an American flag. Yeah. Yeah, would it be? Veins bulging, red-faced, screaming, preaching. You preach. yeah, you gotta be a trumpet. If, if you're not walking on three trumpet. inches of your britches <laughs> legs. Sack and, butt. Trumpet. What are you doing? I don't know. <laughs> I just wanted to say sack butt. <laughs> Got it in. <laughs> yeah, if you're not walking on three inches of your britches legs and spitting on six rows, then you're not preaching. Dependent fundamental premillennial missionary, King James only, sweat wiping, slobber slinging, gravy sopping, biscuit eating. Hey, Baptist, praise God. I just got saved all over again right there <laughs> for the 19th time. Yeah, and then the second question is uh, regarding the history of fundamentalism. And this is something that we've never done before. Right. So you guys are going to finally hear us dive into what you've never heard us dive into before. Guys, I think the fundamentalist movement was brought on by theological liberalism, which attacked the truth of the Bible. And in return, a lot of leaders from every major Christian denomination, they responded against theological liberalism. Yeah, and this is what prompted the writings of the fundamentals, which, is, uh, which came out between 1910 and 1915. And we just want to jump straight into this. John Fay, in an article he wrote in the Trinity Journal years ago, 
uh, talked about understanding the changing face of 20th century American Protestant fundamentalism. And he said in that, that Protestant fundamentalism in America can be understood best by viewing the movement through four distinct periods or phases. And we wanna look at these today. That's the Irenic phase, a militant phase, a divisive phase, and a separatist phase. We're just gonna walk through these and look at these four phases. Yeah, the Irenic phase, I can barely remember it. <laughs> it was 1893 through 1919. Uh, but Irenic fundamentalism was actually aimed at peace. And uh, they wanted to create reconciliation between denominations, imagine that. And they needed interdenominational support uh, because Protestants were forced to come together. They didn't have a choice, and that's because they were gonna confront modernism. Um, 1893, the World Parliament of Religions were in Chicago, and that, that's problems right there. And it was there that uh, America got a firsthand taste of what non-Christian religions look like. Uh, things like Darwinism, German biblical higher criticism, and even all the way back then, something that we think is a modern thing, uh, they had to deal with the social gospel. And there were massive divisions between conservatives and modernists over those issues that would eventually bring tremendous battles between those Christian groups. Uh, they were once a unified force, American evangelicalism fragmented into what James Davison Hunter called the disestablishment of American Protestantism. Mm. Uh, all of that led to changes in the way that churches actually functioned. Uh, the Presbyterian Church USA tightened its conservative theological stronghold over its churches. Uh, believe this or not, uh, they actually added additional measures of orthodoxy for their ministerial candidates, uh, which is really amazing. And then uh, Arno Gabellian, he separated from the Methodist Church in 1899 and started an anti-modernist journal. I happen to like the name of this. Uh, it was called Our Hope. And its purpose was to fight the inroads of liberalism. And as early as 1917, Riley expressed concern about modernism in the Northern Baptist Church in his work, The Menace of Modernism. Isn't that mm. a great title? Mm. And he said the hour has struck, and then he declared this, for the rise of a new Protestantism. And he described the inauguration of his organiza uh, organization and the rise of fundamentalism as being more significant than Martin Luther's posting of the 95 theses on the church door in Wittenberg, Germany, over 400 years earlier. So it was a big deal. Yeah. They were committed to preserving unity denominationally. Mm -hmm. uh, there was a book, the, the Fundamentals, and the title was A Testimony to the Truth. It was first published in 1910. And uh, the Fundamentals included 12 volumes of theological essays to what the authors believed to be the fundamental principles of evangelical faith. And Nathan, not Brian or myself, Nathan read all 954 pages of that. Hold, hold on a second. Good on you. You read all that. Okay, we've got to pause for just a second. Did you ever know that you're my hero? Thank you, Brian. Like, like literally, if you took a snowflake <laughs> to hell and left it there until what? death and hell were cast into the lake of fire, and then you came back a thousand years later, that snowflake surviving would be the chance of JC <laughs> and I ever reading that. I'm I, bored I recommend at it, it very highly. I fell asleep talking about it. 
That's what you wanted to talk about today. I'm kidding. Here we go. <laughs> so, so what are the fundamentals of faith? Obviously, we know it's tent meeting, sawdust, screaming, USA flag, King James Version only. Yes, that was it. Amen. 1910. That's yes. what they wrote. Wingtip shoes. Ooh, yeah. Parted the, was it the butt cut? No, that's awkward. The, KJ, <laughs> the KJV comb over. That's back in style, though. That's what we used to call it at TTU, the KJV comb over. I'm offended by that because I've never stopped using that hairstyle in years. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. So what are the real fundamentals of the faith? I got like a 14 head, so you're all right. <laughs> what your hairline made a beeline for your butt. That <laughs> <laughs> was a good one. Now that's a Brian joke. That was yeah. so good. There you go. All right. So often the five doctrines are described as fundamentals of the faith. Of course, we are familiar with these, but inerrancy, the virgin birth of Jesus Christ, substitutionary atonement, bodily resurrection of Christ, and the authenticity of miracles, which was often combined with other doctrines and the second coming of Christ was listed at times as that number five. But this list of five doctrines was intended to be a line that was drawn in the sand to keep the denominations from being taken over by theological liberals or trendies. This was not an exhaustive list of essential doctrines. Nate, where, where did this list come from? So it's interesting thinking back as independent fundamental Baptists in our background, where did this list of fundamentals come from? It was basically the major problems of their time. This is not an exhaustive list. This isn't all the fundamentals yeah. of our faith, uh, but this was what they were really fighting with there. And it came from the Presbyterian church in the USA. Let me just let that settle over us as independent fundamental Baptist. And the hush falls across the crowd. It started with the Presbyterian Church in the USA in a document entitled The Doctrinal Deliverance of 1910 and then ultimately leading to the writing of the Fundamentals of the Faith, a Testimony to the Truth. So phase one was the ironic phase, the peaceful phase, where they're just basically trying to get all the Christians together. Phase two was the militant phase, and that's 1919 through 1940. And this is where the Baptists really get involved in the movement and things start kind of going another direction. The open evangelical spirit among, among the, the theological conservatives in mainline denominations did not last very long, this peaceful movement. And think about this, the, the biblical higher criticism came from where? Germany. I heard somebody say it. And they're fighting wars against Germany. And there's this conflation of this physical war and the spiritual war. And this basically starts turning the, the conservatives and the, the uh, liberals against each other to the point that Baptist conservatism and the leading anti-modernist Curtis Lee Laws, who was the editor of the Baptist periodical, The Watchman Examiner, he was the first one to coin this term in 1920. And it's amazing what he said returning home from the anti-modernist Baptist rally that was held in Buffalo in 1920. He said, conservatives is too closely allied with the reactionary forces in all walks of life. Premillennialist is too closely aligned with a single doctrine and not sufficiently inclusive. Landmarks has a historical disadvantage and connotes a particular group of radical conservatives. So we suggest that those who still cling to the great fundamentals and who mean to do battle royale for the great fundamentals shall be called fundamentalists. And that's where our 
whole history traces itself back to. So throughout much of the 1920s, the battles were fought within the mainline denominations. And this phase ends basically with J. Gresham Machen being removed from the Presbyterian Church USA for violating his ordination vows by opposing, opposing the modernist leadership of the church. So basically modernism won in this fight and they gained the control of the hierarchies and the denominations, the seminaries in the Northern Baptist, the Presbyterian USA churches, and most of the conservatives have been stripped of any influence. So the natural tendency is the fundamentalist trying to fight to gain control, realized that they had lost control and that they were unsuccessful. So this whole militant phase, this militancy, which by the way, is not a biblical word. Um, Ernest Pickering, who served as the executive director of the IFCA from 1955 to 1959, in his booklet, Biblical Separation, Dr. Pickering defends separatist fundamentalism, but he also listed six pitfalls in the movement that are characteristics of unbiblical militancy. An improper spirit, bitterness, and acrimony. Overoccupation with the issues, uncontrolled suspicion, hasty rejection of offenders, caustic language, and public instead of private rebuke. Mm. The Bible mandates that we contend once for all for the faith in Jude, and we need to do that. We need to stand against theological liberalism in our day, but that's no reason to revert to a militancy that is totally against the biblical concept of Christian love. So we move from the peaceful to the militant to the third phase, which is the now, all-out divisive phase. Yeah, the divisive fundamentalism from 1941 to 1960. And divisive is tending to cause disagreement or hostility between people. Fundamentalists decided that they had to leave the mainline denominations and their leaders they were separated, separated from the Presbyterian and Baptist churches as well as every other denomination. And this group was responsible for the founding of NAE, which is National Association of Evangelicals in April of 1942. Remember that year? Barely. Uh, that's what I thought. In April of 1942, Baptist leaders spoke out against NAE saying that anything short of a separatistic and malicious stance toward modernism was a compromise that watered down the Christian faith. And that led to a group of independent Baptist revivalists. And you should know this, they were from the South. I mean, the South's always rising again for something. Man. And they rallied together because of their frustration with the NAE for their lack of initiative in citywide evangelistic programs. And so men like John R. Rice, Bob Jones Sr., Jack Hiles, and others like them, they were separatists who had originally joined the NAE, but because they believed the organization would provide a national platform, they were all interested in a national platform. They believed that that would happen uh, when it didn't and it didn't allow them an outlet to showcase their evangelistic skills. When that opportunity did not emerge, uh, the separatist policy did emerge and they left the NAE and men like McIntyre and Ketchum and Rice and Jones who had never officially united forces before, they came together and they wouldn't have come together had it not been for this disagreement that they had. By the way, it's a pretty interesting fact. 
It was what they were against that brought them together, mm-hmm. not what they were for. I'd rather be known what I'm for rather than what I'm yeah. against. But uh, they were against the neo-evangelical movement. And that, that had a specific target. Uh, that target was Billy Graham. Now they had once supported Billy Graham, but um, he was supported by separatists and non-separatists alike. But when he did not openly oppose modernism in his New York City crusade, because of that, Rice and removed Graham from the cooperating editorial board of the Sword of the Lord. Hold up. So they took Billy Graham and what was it? George Beverly Shea mm-hmm. away from the Sword of the Lord. And now it's Hamblin and Ranger. Okay. It's a big difference, wouldn't you say? I would. As a matter of fact, I would say it's more sword than the Lord. But um, (laughs) they separated themselves from a preacher of the gospel like Billy Graham. And the fundamentalist movement was deeply divided. And those who affiliated with the positive agenda, and they were not a part of this separatist faction, They took on the name neo-evangelical, which eventually just became evangelicals, which we've got to reverse this, that it's only seen now as a voting block in the United States. Hello. And the separatists militantly clung to the label fundamentalist. That led to phase four, separatist fundamentalism. JC, this is the era in which I was born. (laughs) It started in 1960 until present. Nice. And I wasn't born until 1970. And so in 1983, the World Congress of the International Council of Christian Churches, the ACCC, man, even talking about, I almost said ACE and had flashbacks. That was scary. (laughs) McIntyre characterized fundamentalism as holding to, number one, a belief in the fundamentals of the faith, the inerrancy of scripture, the virgin birth, miracles, deity of Christ, substitutionary atonement, second coming, Number two, a separatist impulse. And number three, a commitment to soul winning and a militant attitude toward liberalism. And from that movement, a name emerged that all of us will recognize, Jerry Falwell. You see the difference there though? Dude. There's a huge difference. Going from the five fundamentals that he listed at the beginning to now four fundamentals that include a separatist impulse and a militant attitude toward liberalism. We've, we've changed a lot. And Jerry Falwell changed that even further because rooted in the independent Baptist group associated with John R. Rice, but moving toward a new national political agenda Mm -hmm. that would later alienate Jerry Falwell, even from other Baptist fundamentalists. And, um, it was stated that he used, or I used to like the word evangelical, but it has been too corrupted. And it is these self-professed fundamentalists that make up the fourth phase. This group uh, is obviously the smallest, but while they are the smallest, they are the most vocal. Mm -hmm. And they are the most divisive faction, and they've called themselves fundamentalists. And um, I don't don't really know that they are, uh, because when we think about this group that now calls themselves fundamentalists, I can't help it. But uh, I like documentaries, and I was watching a documentary on the Salem witch trials, 
And the Salem witch trials, you know, there were, there were two groups. They were both Calvinist. Uh, matter of fact, they didn't dress like they dressed because they were pilgrims. They dressed like they dressed because they were, they were Calvinist and they believed that's how they were supposed to dress. One group wanted to reform, there's the word again, the church in England, and another group wanted to completely separate from that. But what they did was set up a court by their own authority and started what has been known as the Salem Witch Trials. And by their own authority, they would search people out and then they would either burn them at the stake or they would hang them until they were dead. And I think modern fundamentalists that we've talked about, this certain group, not all, but again, this certain group, uh, how many of you have ever been by their own authority, character assassinated or ministry taken away from you, mm-hmm. mission support dropped. And um, I think, you know, we've seen that kind of movement in this modern time, which in my opinion, doesn't look like Jesus at all. Yeah. I think these separatists found that seclusion from the world. They found it through a few things like strict adherence to uh, separation, you can say that word. I, it's, I don't pontificate on esoterica theory as like you. So ecclesiastical separation, Thanks, homeschool which was a huge, read. huge contention of yeah. the yes. separatist fundamentalist branch. And I think what emerged from that though was like this unique religious subculture that tends to view certain aspects of American culture as worldly or as corrupt or as trendy. Hello, Tommy. Um, it, it tends to throw things at people that aren't like them. Yeah. So separation for the fourth phase, separatist fundamentalist, goes hand in hand with the movement's interpretation of personal holiness. Stay with me on this. Holiness implies complete separation from evil, which for fundamentalists includes worldly amusements such as Vegas, card playing, (laughs) dancing, attendance. By the way, if anything's going to make me a fundamentalist, again, it's coming to Vegas. I think Shut they had a point eyes. on some of these. So attending the cinema, drinking. Hey, baby, cinema. Hang on. How many cinema. people got in trouble in college for going to the movie house? Can we see a show of hands? Movie house. Yes. If you say movie house. If you say movie, the theater. I've always, got, I've never called it a movie house, but I just wanted to see what yeah, that fundamentalists was. Fundamentalists didn't go to the movie house. They go to Redbox. <laughs> and that's okay. So the only way to maintain a pure biblical church is to remain separate from anything that might corrupt it, even if this demands separation from fellow Christians who do not adhere to such stringent guidelines. Interestingly enough, you don't hear much about separating from people who are characterized by religious pride, speaking Mm. out against religious brothers. Amen to that. It's all external things. And within this fourth phase is where the strong legalistic form of Christianity develops. And one final characteristic of the fourth phase or the separatist fundamentalist phase uh, that all of us have been in, uh, at least on some level, or that we know of on some level, is the prominence of powerful leaders Mm. Everything rallies around a powerful leader, one central figure that has authority. His declarations are received by virtue of the fact that it is his voice. And uh, throughout the decades of the 1960s, 70s, and 80s, uh, separatist leaders spoke the word like cult followers, Mm -hmm. and they obeyed the spoken word of that authority figure. Mm. So that 
concludes the phases of fundamentalism. And can anybody in here relate with any of those? And basically when John Fay wrote this article, he's pulling from Marsden's work on the history of fundamentalism and all sorts of different works and looking at a lot of different aspects. And as I was reading through that, I was like, yes, oh, dude, that makes so much sense. Now I understand and it's just coming together. These phases explain basically my life, my parents' life, where I came from and where I'm at and actually where I want to go. So we're going to walk through for the rest of our time. And this is what I'm super, super excited about after reading through the fundamentals is what did we discover reading through this and in our conversations afterwards talking mm -hmm. about the original books that sparked the movement that led to the independent fundamental Baptist movement. How you doing? Passing this off to JC right here. He's going to talk about the authors. You want to pick up right there? Yeah, so I was on Facebook. All right, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> He's not joking. <laughs> I love y'all. Did you right. tell your mama hello? She, did you see her? She won't leave me alone. Yeah. She keeps texting. Yeah. My kids are driving my mom nuts. I'm like, woman, I'm wrong. Here we go. All right. Jesus called her woman, too. All right. So the authors, there was interdenominational which various theologies, there was Arminian, Calvinist, Covenant, Dispensational, uh, various viewpoints on eschatology, cross-cultural, various political persuasions. And that led to a lot of different topics. A lot like of them. Bible doctrines, hermeneutics, and heresy of scripture, archeological evidence for scripture, which by the way, they have some super cool documentaries, philosophy, salvation, and theology proper, and then personal testimony, science and faith, missions, apologetics. By the way, I heard a guy actually preach one time that he wasn't interested in apologetics because he was never going to apologize for anything he preached. Hey, man, they aren't like, always right, but they're never in doubt, right? Yeah, that's like the uh, guy we heard one night preaching on the radio. He said, you can have those. Uh, he said, you can have that Schofield if you want to, but I'm sticking with the King James. True story. <laughs> Sin and judgment, true church, <laughs> preaching the word cults, evolution, prayer, Satan and demons, spiritualism, fulfilled prophecy, evangelism, and socialism. So those are all the topics. And interestingly enough, as we look at the authors that wrote these topics from Arminian, Calvinist, covenant, dispensational, denominational backgrounds, different es eschatological views, all these different things, moving into the topics was, was super interesting because when we move into the topics, I would have expected titles of these talks to be like tent meetings, King James Version only, mm. separatism, music styles. It's not in there. Mm. I just read them. It's not in there. So nothing about sawdust on your shoes? Because if you've never had sawdust on your knees, you ain't legit. Extended manipulative altar calls. There was not a chapter on that. Wow. One more verse. This is for you. So JC, tell us what the denominations of the authors that wrote the fundamentals were. Yeah, this is incredible. This is great. Volume one, there was a Scottish Presbyterian. There was an Orthodox Presbyterian, G. Campbell Morgan, who was an Arminian Methodist theology. R.A. Torrey, who was a Congregational Keswickian. He wrote mm -hmm. Higher Life, Second Blessing, Entire Sanctification. There was a Presbyterian, an Evangelical, 
Anglican. Volume two, there was uh, Congregational Pastor Plymouth Brethren, the Anglican Bishop of Durham. Yeah, that's crazy. I look at volume three and you see a Reformed Episcopal. You see Presbyterian. You got a... What? Oh, I thought you said something. I'm just amazed that there's an Episcopal in there. Go ahead. He drinks alcohol. Um, You got got E.Y. Mullins, who was a Southern Baptist. There's one. You got C.T. Studd, who was an interdenominational missionary. You got in the next one, you got a Presbyterian minister. You got science and Christian faith was James Orr, who was a Scottish Presbyterian. Volume five, you've got A.C. Dixon, who was a Northern Baptist. You got uh, Anglican. Then you look at the next one, you got a Methodist Episcopal. Uh, I mean, are they even saved? I don't know. But they're writing about the fundamentals of the faith. Hello. Look at the last volume. We've got Schofield, who was a Confederate soldier who deserted it, went to the Union, and was a Congregationalist, then Presbyterian. Like that bump it, jump it, or dump it, he's, he switched. <laughs> if you say anything about Schofield, somebody's grandma just cried in her grave. <laughs> yeah. I'm sticking with the King James. <laughs> who was that? I have some preacher on the radio. Oh, those guys are dime a dozen. You never know what you're going to get. Like Especially podcasts. when you're up in Severeville and Pigeon Forge. <laughs> he was preaching to everybody in radio land. Exactly. Bless God, that's that. On Roku. <laughs> Love you, Phil. All right. And then, I mean, you round it out with a Methodist and then a Presbyterian again. Yeah, so what is not in the fundamentals? Okay, there's all these different denominations represented, all these different backgrounds and theological different persuasions and they're all writing about the fundamentals of the faith. I mean, does that not shock some of you guys, Mm -hmm. the denominations represented in that list? Here's what was not in the fundamentals, extra biblical doctrines, ultra separatism, man-made standards of holiness, um, eisegesis, conservative idolatry, King James onlyism, Uh-oh. sermons where the scriptures preach out of context, authoritarianism, abuse, cover up, leader worship, skewed focus, easy believism, heretical teaching, ecclesiastical separation, landmarkism, tunnel vision, dress code, sectarianism, cultish teaching and practices. None of that. Yeah, let's take was, an offering. Yeah, none of that was there. And an example of that was one of the talks, one of the titles of these talks, talking about easy believism. In the fundamentals, one of the titles was doctrines that must be emphasized in successful evangelism. And written none of by, those things were there. Written by a Calvinist hmm. who's emphasizing doctrines of justification. It's not one, two, three, repeat after me. He's going deep and saying this is essential for effective and successful evangelism. You should read that. So this brings us to the point where we want to look at the King James only issue. Just looking at the fundamentals of the faith, letting them speak for themselves. At this point in history, because I know what some of you are thinking, oh, it wasn't an issue yet. At this point in history, there were at least 18 English language Bibles in 1910, more if you count revisions to the King James Version. The newest was the ASV, the American Standard Version, which is now the New American Standard Version, which was written in 1901, very fresh, nine years old, and not one person that wrote in the fundamentals had a problem with it. As a matter of fact, they quote from it, compare it to the King James Version. That's very telling for me. The writers in the fundamentals regularly appeal to the Greek, 
The writers compare other translation. Textual criticism is repeatedly confirmed as the foundation of all the arguments contained in the fundamentals. How many of you guys have been taught over and over and over again that textual criticism is evil? It's criticizing God's word. It's not. They, over and over in the introductions to every book, they have them grouped in different sections. I read four separate books where they had multiple talks. In the introduction to every single one, they appeal back to textual criticism and say, without that, we would not have what we know as God's word. Getting back to the faithful representation of the originals. By the way, lower criticism is textual criticism. I didn't know that. Lower criticism is textual criticism. The higher criticism that was used to attack the uh, fundamentals of the faith is not wrong. It's just wrong when you do it from the starting point of an evolutionary atheistic perspective. So basically theological liberals were using the tool of higher criticism to attack scripture and the truths of scripture. I want to read you a quote thinking about the King James version from one of the talks. The Bible as we now have it in its various translations and revisions when freed from all errors and mistakes of translators, copyists and printers is the very word of God and consequently holy without error. Boy, we came a long way from that spoken by a Presbyterian council to what we were raised under. So from the Fundamentals, Volume 3, Chapter 1, it's called The Inspiration of the Bible. Westcott and Hort are affirmed. Wow. Mm -hmm. Westcott and Hort are affirmed and their efforts are used to prove the fundamentals. Other versions are used. The Septuagint is repeatedly appealed to throughout the books for arguments against higher criticism. I saw a video recently where Sam Gipp is attacking Westcott and Hort and arguing against even the existence of the Septuagint. The Latin Vulgate and other manuscripts that are rejected by KJV only people are appealed to as being legitimate and the King James Version only advocates uh, condemn the Vulgate as corrupt. The King James Version is compared with other translations. One author says he favors the King James but he doesn't say he takes this across the board. He acknowledges that it is a translation even though he prefers it. Um, another chapter appeals to the Greek as stronger and better. In one of the chapters on the providence of God, there's a statement that says, promoting Bible translation and diffusion is evidence of God's superintending providence. Hmm. So what is missing from the fundamentals? I think it's separatism because we have holiness that is affirmed, but separatism is not. There's a quote that no articles were designed as specific attacks on modernist tendencies, nor did any article focus on the issue of ecclesiastical separation. Let's wrap so, it up. So let's look at the conclusion of, of all this. Yo, what is the old paths? How many of you like me grew up hearing it preached that we have to stay in the old paths. Mm. Stand ye in the ways and seek and ask for the old paths. Wherein is the good way and walk therein and you shall find rest for your soul. I heard that verse preached over and over again. I even heard not long ago, one, one of the clips, there's this young 
kid. He's probably about 18 years old. Oh, yeah. He's just answered the call to preach. And it was, it was hilarious because, you know, he's trying to use the old trembly voice. And he's like, I'm going to tell you one thing. Uh, we better stay uh, in the old paths. Uh, but what are the old paths? I just because, wanted him to go inside. I thought the wind was going to knock him over. Yeah, but I, I've, I've heard that my whole life. And nobody's ever been able to tell me what the old paths or the old time religion really is because it's whatever era you mm -hmm. overly romanticize in your mind as being when the church was That's right. Mm. And if we look at the books, the fundamentals of the faith that started this whole movement is the old paths 1893 to 1919? Or is it 1919 to 1940? Is it 1941 to 1960? Or 1960 to present? It seems to me like a fundamentalist would call the old paths at least 1893 to 1919. Which means they're not really old paths, are they? After all. So what are the fundamentals? Inerrancy, authenticity of miracles. Not only do we know what the fundamentals are, Come on. but we affirm the yeah. fundamentals. So that leads to really the ultimate question that we've led up to, not just in this episode, but for the entire last year. Yeah. Who are the true fundamentalists? Everybody wants to focus on recovering. Oh, you're recovering. Oh, you need yeah. help. You need therapy. You're recovering. Let's focus on fundamentalists. We're recovering fundamentalists. We're recovering fundamentalism back from people who have hijacked it. So who are the true fundamentalists? We are recovering fundamentalism. We are biblical. We're interdenominational. We're affirming mm. the fundamentals. We're not separatists. We're open for second level disagreement and fellowshipping with people that don't hold the exact same standards as us. And we're not promoting ecclesiastical separation over secondary issues Shoot. Family, we are the fundamentalist. Man. That'll make a Baptist want to speak in tongues right there, boys. We have eight <laughs> minutes and 16 seconds left, and I have no idea what's going to happen from here. I don't either, because I, now we're off I script. <laughs> I know one thing that needs to happen. What? Everybody in this room, we worked through a lot of information, yeah. and that was a lot of stuff. And we all talked about it, and we knew that was going to be heavy. And we knew it was going to be kind of difficult to hear all those authors mm. and all those names and all those titles and all those different eras of time. But we wanted you to walk away from this live recording of the Recovering Fundamentalist podcast knowing that you are a fundamentalist. Yeah. Yeah. If you believe the Bible, if you love the cross of Jesus Christ <laughs> and the blood atonement of Jesus Christ mm. and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and you're willing to fellowship with people Hello. on the basis of the gospel yep. and not on every preference under the sun. If you are the people of God who happens to love other people who are the people of God, even if they are not like you, yep. then you are the true fundamentalist. And don't let anybody take that away from Amen. you. Right. Amen. And we started out by acknowledging, intentionally acknowledging some of our haters mm -hmm. or some of the people that are on the opposite side of the aisle. So I want to say to my friend, Andrew Schluter, I want to say to Dr. Dex, I want to say to Tommy McMurtry, McCordy. I said his name right. You did. Good job. 
I want to say to Steve Brudnick, I want to say to all these other guys, sorry if I left one or two of you out, I want to say to you guys, are you really independent fundamental Baptists? You're not. No. And it's time that you're honest about that. Let's just get honest about that. You are independent separatist Baptist. And I want you to put that on your sign because that's who you are. It's time that you acknowledge that. And that's okay. We'll fellowship with you. We'll have you on the podcast. Well. Maybe. (laughs) We'll talk to you about it. I'll definitely meet you for sushi. But stop calling yourself something you're not. Because if you're old path fundamentalist, you need to at least go back to the beginning of fundamentalism. (laughs) And I want everybody to stop and think for a second how much the separatist movement is unlike Jesus. Yeah, it sure is. All right, Jesus was perfect, sinless God. And the only people Jesus could work with were people who were not like him. Mm-hmm. Like when you read about the disciples of Jesus, it actually makes you feel a little bit better about you. Those were the guys who were disciples. Mm. And, and yet Jesus worked with them, changed the world with them. Had Jesus only been willing to use perfect people who were exactly like him, then Jesus wouldn't have used any people. By the way, if he only used perfect people, he still wouldn't be using any people at sure, all. Amen. And so how wrong is it that in the name of Jesus Christ, you so misrepresent Jesus Christ? My goodness. Because Jesus worked, hey, even the apostles didn't always get along. Paul withstood Peter to his face, and yet they were still about the same cause of the gospel work of Jesus Christ. So let's be a better representation of the one we call Lord and let's love other people who are disciples of Christ, even when we think they're wrong. And by the way, when we get to heaven, we're going to find out a lot of us were wrong about a whole Man, lot of stuff. Yeah. I think there'll be a sound when we get to heaven. You know, like you hear sounds like if you open up a Coca-Cola, you can't pop top on anything else but a Coca-Cola. You hear that sound, right? I think when you like open up a Pringles can, you're like, oh, fake chips, right? You, you know the sound of it, right? <laughs> I think there'll be a sound when we walk into heaven, just like this, oh. Oh, like we we see it, we figure it out, we get it. It's like it it all starts making sense. I think a lot of us are going to go. <gasps> exactly. They're the, here. He's here. <laughs> I wasn't going to say that about JC, but I mean, <laughs> you went ahead and said it out loud. That's why I said the joke. Between in <laughs> between the three of us, we have over seventy years experience in fundamentalism and more years. Brian's out. the majority of that. If we compare all of us in this room, how many? How many years combined do we have experience in fundamentalism? And can we just all agree yeah. on this one thing? Separatism doesn't work. No, no Ultra, hyper, ecclesiastical separationism does not work. It's ugly. Yeah. It's hateful. It's divisive. It doesn't honor Christ. It doesn't honor the church. That's and there good. are a lot of our brothers that, that we're called to love and that we're open to fellowship with that are caught up in that mess. Mm. I'm calling you guys out. We exist to help and to encourage, but we also exist to challenge you. And I challenge you to pick up the fundamentals. In the last month and a half when I've been reading the fundamentals, I've been asking multiple independent fundamental Baptist brethren this one question, and not one of them has told me that they've ever read the fundamentals of the faith. Not one. How many of you in here had ever read it? I see three or four hands. So I don't have a problem saying, let's get back to the fundamentals. I don't have a problem calling myself a fundamentalist if we define it right. That's it. 
Yep. And you know, that's kind of what this, this idea summit has represented because there's so many people who are different. There's so many people who are not exactly the same. And yet they stood in this room last night and in unity worshiped one savior Mm. and one Lord who is Jesus Christ. What a fundamentalist thing to do. Looks like we need to have us a little camp meeting and get all the fundamentalists together under one tent and go to church. Can I hack and preach? Yeah. If we take a good offering. I'll be honest. My favorite kind of preaching is energetic preaching. I don't care if you hack and preach. Just preach the truth to me. Yeah. Incredible, incredible episode. I love having you two guys on here. I just stand back in awe of how smart you are, and I feel like a dumb youth pastor, but it's awesome to hear you talk. Nate, thanks for reading all those pages of books that I will never look at. You're awesome. It's good. What I would love to get out of this is people reclaiming their fundamentalism. I came up with that by myself. And, And as we press forward, saying with pride that we are recovering fundamentalist as we love God, love others, and live sin. I think it's an incredible opportunity for us to continue to do that. So from all of us here at the Recovering Fundamentalist Podcast, Nathan, Brian, and JC, we thank you for being here with us today. To our live audience, thanks for being here. You guys are absolutely incredible. We love you. We're on the road to two million downloads. I think we can do it, right? I think we can do it. It's going to be awesome. So next year we come and Josh will let us record two live episodes. (laughs) It'll be be great. Hey, thanks for tuning in to the Recovering Fundamentalist podcast. Be sure to go to recoveringfundamentalist.org. Click on the promo tab, Free Life Soap. Use your promo code RFP. Get 20% off of your order. Help Miss McCribbin with an incredible, incredible business and smell real good while you do it. And pick up some cool RFP merch while you're there. Exactly. And we want to give a huge shout out to our patrons of Patreon. You guys are absolutely incredible. Yeah. Are there any patrons in the room today? Yes, there are. Stand up if you are. They're humble. There's nobody. We have some here. We have Woo! one. All right. We have two. Wow, we love they're you so guys. humble. We, we could love not y'all. do this without you. Brian takes all the money. Uh, So we thank you for being part of the Recovering Fundamentalist podcast. Be sure to be here with us next week as we reveal the RFP network. It's going to be fun. It's been a good episode. Absolutely. Y'all ready to go? Yeah. We're in the negative. Be sweet. Peace. Let's go. For listening to the Recovering Fundamentalist podcast, be sure to stop by our social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Give us a follow. Also, go to our website, recoveringfundamentalist.org. That's recoveringfundamentalist.org. There you can find Recovering Fundamentalist swag. You can get your t-shirts and hats. You can join our ex-fundy community. See where we're going to be having some meetups. It's the recoveringfundamentalist.org. Be sure to join us next time for the Recovering Fundamentalist podcast. <laughs>